0: Hi, my name is Benjamin Blythe and I'm here from the Radiobiology for Children's Health Program at the National Institute of Radiological Sciences in, in Chiba, Japan. Um, and I'm here at the RRS meeting in Fort Lauderdale and today we're talking to Wendy McGuinness. We're gonna talk about um, the work that she's presented here at the meeting. So if you'd like to introduce yourself, Wendy.
1: Hi, I'm Wendy McGuinness. I'm coming from the Oregon Health and Science University in Portland, Oregon. I'm a medical student doing uh, Howard Hughes Medical Fellowship between my second and third year and this is the project I've been working on for the last year or two Um, and I'm excited to be here today.
0: So Wendy if you'd like to tell us a little bit about um, what you're working on and the work that you've presented here maybe give us a start by um What's the kind of question that you're looking at here?
1: Absolutely, so we wanted to look at cancer-related cognitive changes, which can occur in up to 30% of patients in the months or years after treatment. Mm -hmm. Um, A lot is known in the literature about this being a significant problem to patients, Mm -hmm. but a lot of the mechanistic um, underpinnings of this issue remain to be seen.
0: So is this something that's um, unique to radiotherapy treatment or is it something that's seen with chemotherapy as well?
1: Um, Most typically this is something that's associated with chemotherapy and that's where a lot of the literature exists. Mm -hmm. But it turns out that if you look at radiotherapy only arms in patients, you Mm -hmm. can see cognitive changes in those patients as well. Um, This has been seen both in breast cancer patients as well as Hodgkin's lymphoma patients and um, so we thought that it was a worthy avenue to look into with radiotherapy as well.
0: Mm-hmm. So how, is it to, how hard is it to dissect out um, cognitive changes due to the therapy itself? and any changes that might be associated with the stress of the treatment, the stress of the disease, the change in in lifestyle once you get a cancer diagnosis. How hard is it to sort of separate those two out?
1: I think it's incredibly difficult and a lot um, that we've seen so far has actually been, is this a change of the cancer treatment? Is it a change of the cancer? Is Mm -hmm. it biological at all or is this all just a, a function of the stress that's being put on these patients and I think that one of the best ways to get at this problem is to actually use an animal model Mm -hmm. Um, and that's something that hasn't been done so much yet that I think is an innovative part of the project we have going on.
0: So in that vein then what type of cognitive changes do we see in human patients and how do we translate those cognitive changes into an animal model.
1: Absolutely, and that's another um, very significant challenge in these studies, but the most typical changes we see in human patients are um, increases in fatigue, problems with executive function, changes in memory, um, and we also see behavioral changes like depression and anxiety, and I think that um, a lot of these metrics there are a lot of studies that are well verified in mm-hmm. mouse models, that's specifically where we're looking. So we can do um, cognitive testing for anxiety-like measures that we feel pretty confident about. Spatial learning and memory, there's a lot of um, history with that. And I think that um, a direction we also want to go in is specifically looking at fatigue and mm-hmm. depressive-like behaviors, which can be more difficult to get at. but. Um, we think that there's testing that's been verified that will be very promising.
0: It's a really interesting area and maybe a lot of people aren't quite familiar with those techniques of um, you know, how how you measure anxiety mm-hmm. um, in a mouse. So could you give us just a little idea, just a taste of what sort of techniques you can use to analyze these um, sort of metrics?
1: Absolutely. So. Um, What we're presenting today is our data from uh, a test called Open Field. And so in this test, a mouse is placed in an open arena Mm -hmm. and allowed to explore for 15 minutes. And one of the measures we take as an anxiety-like behavior is how much time the mouse spends in the periphery of the arena versus the center. Mm -hmm. And so it's taken that a mouse feeling more anxiety would spend more time in the periphery and that mice demonstrating lower levels of these anxiety measures will enter the center more mm-hmm. and spend more time there.
0: So sort of more, being more adventurous exactly. rather than sort of staying in the shadows Versus on the edges. Versus so. feeling
1: inhibited. Um, another important test is actually called fear conditioning that tests the mouse's response to a conditioned stimulus, whether they um, can have this, how, Robust their responses to mm-hmm. this fear conditioning and how that can be um, extinguished over the days following testing. Mm-hmm. And we know that with a context, if a mouse learns to be fearful in a specific context, that um, we can get at differences between hippocampal dependent memory and hippocampus independent memory, which we think is important. Mm-hmm as well.
0: So I'm sure the background in patients is quite different. You know people have different personalities, they have different ways of approaching stress um, sort of for the baseline plus then whatever effects the treatment might have. Does the same apply to mice strains for example? Can you find some strains that have have a higher baseline level of anxiety compared to others and can, be, can that be used to sort of tease apart some of these effects?
1: So that's another um, element of our project that we found pretty exciting is we've actually done this with two different strains of mice and seen that they do show different anxiety-like behaviors um, so you can get at different... Um, different responses to these tests and these treatments when you d- use different mouse strains that show different baseline levels of activity. Mm-hmm. So we actually see different directions of response dependent on those genetic backgrounds. Mm-hmm.
0: So maybe some people are familiar with the concept from the, um, so the astronaut safety perspective of looking for cognitive changes after heavy ion irradiation that you might have somehow um, neuronal damage from the mm-hmm. radiation. Is that part of what we're looking at here? Or, is, or do you think that there's more a systemic um, response uh, of the brain to the treatment?
1: I think that what we're really looking at here is by delivering our radiation peripherally, these mice only receive radiation to their hind flank tumors or healthy tissue. So there's no actual brain irradiation. Mm. We use uh, CT-guided precision irradiation with the SARP. So it's very targeted. We know that they're not receiving any dose to the brain. So these really are looking at the systemic effects. And Mm -hmm. I think that um, what I'm trying to get at is specifically looking at the immune system role in Mm -hmm. mediating those systemic effects because um, when we started this project, we thought maybe we won't see changes with just peripheral radiation. Mm -hmm. But I think the fact that we have seen them is something worth pursuing.
0: And I suppose that fits in with the chemotherapy angle as well, that if you're seeing these changes in both chemotherapy and radiation therapy, then it would make sense for it to be a more systemic mm-hmm. sort of physiological response to the stress of the treatment.
1: Exactly, and we've found that even when we do look for markers of neuronal death in our the brains of our mice that we're looking at, we see that that's not what's mediating Mm -hmm. these changes. These treatments aren't damaging enough to cause a significant neuronal death response, which is probably to be expected given some of these treatments are out in use in the clinic Mm -hmm. and that would be a pretty significant um, injury if that's what we were seeing.
0: Sure, so does that mean that that's a good sign for the ability of these um, effects to be um, sort of ameliorated temporarily during the treatment and looking at full restoration of function once the treatment's finished?
1: I think absolutely that this is saying, that this is something that if we understood better the mechanism by which these changes were occurring, that they would certainly be something that we could work to prevent during treatment and perhaps um, help in retrospect, but that might be more difficult. Mm
0: So from the work that you've presented at this meeting, what's your next sort of steps? Where do you go from here in terms of developing um, this line of inquiry?
1: Absolutely, I think that um, the next step we really wanna take is to separate our treatment arms. So Mm -hmm. right now we only have combined radiotherapy and immunotherapy Mm -hmm. in our treatment groups and that we would love to dissect to see where those changes are really coming from. Or if it's only in synergy that we see a change, which I think might be what's happening. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that also the most relevant time point from a patient perspective is the Mm long-term time point and what we're looking at right now is very acute. Mm -hmm. Um, So eventually we would love to extend the timeline of our experiment which might need a different experimental setup um, Mm -hmm. that we would have to look into.
0: Do you think the effects that you see might be applicable to radiate, uh, sorry, to like a surgical treatment or a surgery plus radiation or any other type of physiological stress, um, do, do you think it's generally applicable in that sense?
1: I think it, it might be because if you look in um, data of cognitive impairment following surgery, um, you can see similar immune mediation of these cognitive impair- impairments that occur especially in our older populations. Um, so I think that while I'm not aware if we've looked at cognitive impairment following surgery only mm. in cancer patients specifically, I think that it's possible that those um, same mechanisms could be at work in those cases.
0: And do you know whether there's anything that's currently available um, in the clinic in terms of treatment for um, the sort of psychological or um, sort of effective um, impairment that might be able to be used in this setting? Something that we've already got at our disposal that we could sort of use to?
1: There have been some efforts into looking at um, various dementia treatments mm-hmm. to be used in cancer patient, patients for cognitive changes. Um, the, those treatments have shown pr- some promise, but I think we still have a lot of un- to understand about how these changes are being mediated and that treatments will really need to be targeted once we better understand what the problem is. Mm
0: -hmm. So I know that you're a a SIT member here in the RRS um, meeting and this is your first meeting. Mm -hmm. So can you tell us just a little bit about your thoughts about the meeting and and how you found it?
1: Absolutely, so um, I started with the SIT workshop on Friday Mm -hmm. which was great, I thought it was so fun to specifically meet other SIT members. I thought that having programming targeted specifically towards trainee level was really beneficial. And probably that was my favorite day so far of the meeting, just getting to talk to other trainees and Mm -hmm. hear their experiences and perspectives. And then otherwise, I think that this meeting so far has been incredibly fun. People have been so friendly and welcoming. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's part of how great science is done when you have these connections being Mm -hmm. made and scientists really engaging in an informal and social way, I think that's incredibly important to to progress in a way that's maybe sometimes neglected.
0: That's great to hear. Are are there any talks in particular or posters that you've seen that have really sparked your interest or been relevant for your work?
1: I thought that um, some of the seminars that I went to on Radiation induced behavioral changes is obviously very relevant to my project and it was really exciting to hear some of the leaders in the field um, talk about behavioral changes that even I hadn't really considered. Um, and I think that also hearing about normal tissue toxicity in our um, the seminar on late effects on mm-hmm. cancer treatment was really great. Um, because I think that that's generally an arena I'm working in, but mm-hmm. something like pelvic radiation disease isn't something I had thought about in terms of these long-term treatment outcomes, but might even be at play with cognitive changes mm-hmm. in terms of these long-term conditions are certainly stressful and difficult for patients, so I think it's possible they're all interwoven.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, it's great to hear, and um, definitely good luck with um, the rest of your study. And um, thank you very much for talking with us today. I hope you enjoy the rest of the meeting.
1: Yeah, thanks so much for having me. It's been great to talk to you.